If you have a Bible, go ahead and get to Psalm 25. We have two more weeks that we'll spend in the Psalms before we jump into a new series in the book of Colossians. And so um, if you're here this morning and you have any interest at all, let me start over. If you're here this morning and you have any interest at all in coming to understand the will of God for your life and how he guides his people, then you picked a good Sunday to be here because that's what Psalm 25 is all about, God guiding us and the means by which he does that. And so um, if you don't have a Bible and you need one, um, go ahead and throw your hand up. Um, Rick can get you one. Um, Psalm 25, you need to be there. The words are not going to be on the screen for us. A couple of them will, but um, the main text is going to be in what's, what you're holding in your hand. And so um, let me give you some, some background to Psalm 25. Um, so Psalm 25 is David in, in his prime, okay, or whatever you want to call it. Um, he's lived life for a while now, okay, and he understands the, the weight of what it means and what it looks like to walk with God. So this isn't like a young David who's kind of naive and maybe doesn't really understand the full weight of faithfulness to God. This is David who's walked with God, who's failed horribly, who's walked in repentance and power. Um, and the time of the writing of Psalm 25 is in the midst of some pretty gnarly family battle, family conflict. So um, it, you guys maybe understand a little bit about family um, conflict and dysfunction. Um, all of us have it in some facet. Um, well, there's some pretty interesting family dysfunction that goes on in the Bible, and the context of Psalm 25 is one of them. So David has a son, several of them, um, but he has a son named and Amnon, and Amnon has a half-sister named Tamar, and Tamar, according to Amnon, is pretty hot, okay? And so hot that, that, that Amnon wants sexually his half-sister Tamar, okay? Um, not so good. So uh, here's what Amnon does. Amnon um, plays sick. So he's like, I'm going to you know, act like I'm sick, act like I need some help. And so he does that. And, and what it does is Tamar comes to Amnon and, he, you know, she starts to help him. She starts to take care of him. She starts to, to feed, cook for him and feed him. And, um, and, and Amnon uses that as a means to try to lure his sister sexually. But she's not having anything to do with it. And so Amnon rapes her. Okay, now what you need to know is Tamar has a brother. <laughs> Uh-oh. Tamar has a brother named Absalom. Okay? And Absalom steps in. And he's like, uh-uh. It's my sister. So battle, like family fight, like all out. Absalom kills Amnon. Just done. Don't treat my sister that way. Done. And so then there's this whole conflict now with David and his son Absalom, who just put to death his son Amnon. That's some crazy dysfunction, right? Okay, and so there's this battle, this rebellion that ensues with Absalom and his father David. And in the midst of that battle, we have the writing of Psalm 25. Um, the honest words of a man 
walking. We'll see him praying and meditating throughout the entire psalm. Um, But more than anything, here's the deal. He's journeyed in faith for years now, and he wants nothing more than to honor God in the midst of this crazy time in his life. And so pick it up, Psalm 25, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I mean, what else would you do, right? If you're in that situation, like, um, not really sure what's going on here. Not really sure how to be the father I need to be to my murderous son um, and my daughter and blah, blah. Like, what would you do other than to say, God, I, I lift up my soul to you? Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. And so David here is basically in the, in the midst of this situation. Is he wants to submit to the ways of God for his life. He wants to know the, the, the ways of God. But, but more than that, he just wants to place himself under God's design and God's intention for his life and his family. And would, would there any of us say we want to be put to shame? Would any of us say that? No. Would any of us pursue something that would ultimately be to shame us? No, that's, that's never our intention. Okay, and David's confession here is, God, I don't, I don't want to be put to shame. But what he's realized is that the only means by which we find shame in life is when we pursue a path that's saying, I want it, and I'm going to get it. It's the words he used when he says, they shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous, which basically means this. Lustfully faithless. It's like, I want it, and I'm going to get it. And David knew that full well. He knew what that was like when he pursued Bathsheba. He got what he wanted, and then it all went downhill from there. And it brought... Shame upon shame upon shame upon his life. And he's like, I know what that road's like, and I don't want that road. I want to rock the path you have for me. I want to submit myself to the will you have for me. That's his prayer. And I wonder if even as we start this morning, and as we're just getting in, if we could just say in our spirit this morning, yeah. I want to position myself under the will of God. And here's the dangerous thing about that. Like, it's, it's like an all-or-nothing deal, right? Like, we don't want it to be that. We want to be like, I'm going to position myself to the extent that, like, I'm okay. And if it's not quite what I want, okay, then I'm welcome back over here. You know, kind of pursuing God. Oh, no, no, no. Like, I'm not sure about that, Lord. Like, no, that's not the heart of David here. He's like, I lift up my soul. It's everything that I am, I lift it up to you. Everything that I am. I don't want to walk the road of deception. I don't want to be a bad father. I want to be who you want me to be. And so his prayer ensues in verse 4. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Did you notice what David says? Okay. David isn't like, God, give me wisdom as I walk the path for my life. Give me wisdom as I make these decisions. He said, no, like, show me your path. 
Show me your ways. He's totally wanting nothing more than what his heavenly father wants for him. Okay? Too often, we have the tendency to want to be the the God of our salvation, right? Okay, in two ways. First, in the way that we become Christians. Like, we want to, to position ourselves in such a way that we can you know, make ourselves righteous by going to church, by doing certain things that, that, you know, helping people and we feel good about that, okay? Okay, for one, that, that, that doesn't work. Salvation isn't found in, in our works. But secondly, the way we become the God of our salvation is this. We want to define what sanctification looks like for us. And we want to say so much that we know what's best for our spiritual growth more than the Heavenly Father knows what's best. And some of us are sitting in situations right now that we could argue face-to-face almost with God to say why what you're walking through isn't what's best for you. Can I, can I plead with you this morning? Let God be the God of your salvation. Surrender to him. Let him be the God of your salvation because here's the thing. You've been called out by him. Scripture says you are his. You were bought with a price. You think God purchases things at a high cost, namely his son, to just, nah, like, what's going on over there? I don't know. What's happening with Mike? I don't know. What's happening with Cheryl? I don't know. She's my daughter. I haven't really talked to her in a while. I'm not really paying attention. No. He gave up his son for you. He knows full well. And he's working in your life in a way that you can't even imagine. You cannot even imagine. And although you want to change it, God's at, at work in a powerful way. Um, it's easy to look at th- this idea of, of treacherous living. When we think of, of living this treacherous life, this, what, what our minds think of is some overt sinfulness, okay? Um, but it's not equated to that. It's not like God's, you know, in this passage talking about like, you know, being a drug dealer, being a prostitute, which are things that we might, you know, like lift up and be like, oh my gosh, like that's the epitome of sinfulness. But really, this idea of being the God of your salvation is going to deal more with when you wake up in the morning, what is it that drives you? When you get up to start your day, what, what is it you're fueled by? Your own treacherous pursuits or the ways of God? Maybe some of your treacherous pursuits are you're a workaholic. I can be that. And it takes the loving kindness of my wife to be like, can you just put that down and come and be with us? Maybe you're just distant. Maybe you're lazy. And part of submitting to the ways of God or for God to pull you out of that and trust him um, and, and really actually let him lead you to walk in obedience. Um, so, I don't know how long ago it was, um, but Danielle came to me and she said, uh, this was several years ago, she said, babe, I really... I really feel like God's calling us to adopt. And I was like, no, 
you're wrong. Um, not don't agree, not having it, um, not what God has for us. And uh, and so um, after several years now of praying through that and talking with that, she's right, which is you know probably ninety nine point nine percent of the time that's the case. But um, and so so we've started this journey of of what does it look like for for us to walk in the calling God has for us to adopt. And uh, and so this week. Uh, I ran into a lady who, who's adopted five kids, and um, it's been a pretty tough road for her and her husband. I've had, had two of her sons in class, um, and they've just been really tough. And, and she looked me in the eye, and she goes, Dave, um, you better know that you know that you know God's calling you to it. Because it's a tough road. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, because I'm like, um, I don't know how sometimes I can handle like my own two that like we made and like they've been around us the whole time, let alone kids who, who suffer from neglect and abandonment and some serious health issues or whatever God might bring to us. And so I don't know what it looks like to walk this road. And if I'm the God of my salvation, what I want to do is I just want to run from that because that's not easy. That's not comfortable. But I sat on the phone with a lady through the, that's working through the ministry that we're going through to actually walk the road of foster care to eventually adopt. And, and as she poured out her heart for the neediness, there's 500,000 kids in the foster care system. 10,000 kids in the foster care system simply in St. Louis that are just longing for people to just be loved to them. My heart was just aching. And what I can't shake is like, man, this, was our, this is our calling that God's put on us, my wife and I, and I can't, I can't shake that. And so here's my conclusion in that. Like, we're going to be okay. You understand that? God equips the called. The things that God's called you to, he's going to give you the means and the grace to accomplish it. That's our God. He is the God of our salvation. And so David continues in verse 6 to plead with the Lord. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So here's what David's saying. is God, if I'm going to walk the path you have for me, I'm going to need your mercy. I'm going to need your steadfast love. And I wonder if, it's, you know, if he's, as he's writing that, like he like underlined steadfast and like circled it and maybe wrote it four or five times. Just the unending love of God poured out. He's like, I'm going to need this. I'm going to continue walking this road. I'm going to need it. But here's the question for you and I. What's the road? I think one of the most popular questions among Christians is, what's God's will for my life? How do I discern the leading of God on my life? Well, I'm glad you're here. Here we go. Um, verse 8, we're going to dive in. Um, how do you discern the will of God? I want to give you four things. Or the scriptures want to give you four things out of um, Psalm, 28, or Psalm 25. Um, prerequisites, what I'm calling prerequisites to God's leading. Um, look at verse 8. 
Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Um, I have good news for you. Um, the first one is you have to be a sinner. Anybody need to leave? Good, because then we just invite you right back in. It would be perfect, because then you would be a sinner. <laughs> okay? Um, so you have to be a sinner. Isn't that so freeing this morning? Like, that God guides sinners. The scripture says he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Why? Because when you realize you're a sinner, you have the means to be led. You understand that? Like, if you think you have it all together, and you don't understand the full weight of your sinfulness before a holy God, then you know it all. And so no one can really guide you or instruct you in wisdom. Not even God. Because you know it all. But when you understand, I'm a sinner. I need God's guidance. But here, here's the thing too. Christians, one of the proofs of your salvation. You want to know if you're a Christian? Romans 8.14 is the answer. Romans 8.14, here's what it says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Are you led by God? Are you led by His Spirit? Does He guide your life? That's a fundamental proof of whether or not you're a Christian. And if you're not led by God and His Spirit, here's all I'll say. There's a question mark on the security of your salvation. Or not the security, but if it's really there or not. Okay, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying there's no proof. You want proof? Does God's Spirit lead you? And the means by which he leads us is we're sinners in need of God's transforming grace, in need of his help. Look at verse 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his ways. The second thing is humility, which goes hand in hand with sinner, right? It's this realization, I don't have it all together. Because you know, when you, when, you, when you talk with a proud person, you really can't convince them because they think they know that, what they know and there's really no way th- to get through. So how, how does God, God lead a proud person? Well, he has to crush them. He has to destroy their pride, which is not fun. Probably for God and for the person, the proud person. If you want direction in your life, what am I supposed to do here? Maybe it's with a job, discernment with employees you're working with. Maybe it's with a relationship. Maybe it's just needing direction for your life. How do I handle my kids? How do I handle my living situation? How do I handle my future? How do I handle my view of myself? Managing my time. Listen, if you come humbly before the Lord, He's going to guide you. He's going to answer those questions. Okay, one of the things, um, one of my prayers lately has been, God, I want to use my time better. Like, not just for me and wanting to be more efficient and proficient and productive, but for my family and for my kids, for my church. How can I use my time? So I've just been praying that. I've just been asking because I can obsess over things. I can spend way too much time on things. 
it's just never good enough, and I can always do a little bit better. And, and it's just been amazing the past two weeks just to watch God answer that prayer. Um, 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to show strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. What does that mean? It means if you humble yourself before the Lord, you position yourself to know the will of God and to have the power of God in your life. Um, I met with somebody this week who's just in an, in an intense battle. And he just, he just wants nothing more than to be free. And I have so much confidence for this person because of the fact that they're humble before the Lord. And they want nothing more than to be free. The means to that. How do you do it? What are the actual steps you take to walk? Like God's Spirit speaks that in. But if you're not humble, if you don't come before the Lord, you know how you like, we come before the Lord and we're like, God, what do you want me to do here? But we really don't care what God wants us to do. We just want to do what we want to do. But we'll like cushion it to, you know, well, I'm a Christian. Well, I'm supposed to ask God. But like we really don't care what God wants. But that's not humility. You know, you ask somebody hey, their, their opinion but they don't really want your opinion, you know? When you go to the Lord, do you go humbly before him? As if you really want to honor him. Only God knows. Only God knows your heart. You know your heart. Um, verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. The third thing is this. Covenant relationship. Here's what I love about covenant relationship. Is that covenant relationship is not based in you executing the demands on your life. It's not based in you executing the expectations. It's based in God executing his son. You follow that? It's not on you. Covenant relationship isn't just on you keeping up your end of the deal. It's based on what God's done for you. And here's the amazing thing, and I've just been resting in this verse and the weightiness of all God's done this week in different people's lives, that it says all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who are in covenant relationship with him. Do you understand how freeing that is? Like all of them. Look, when you position yourself under God's grace through the covenant that he's purchased through his son by ruining his son's body and pouring out his son's blood, you know what? You have the promises that every single path in your life will be met with the steadfast love of God and his faithfulness. Do you know what? Can I just be honest with you here for a second? Virtually every single time I step down from preaching God's word, the, the one thing I'm overwhelmed with is, gosh, God's faithful. And that's the promise for those that covenant relationship. But there's another thing that's, that covenant relationship is based on. Verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. It's repentance. Covenant relationship is, is this idea of repentance. 
Okay, it's based in repentance, but notice it says, for your namesake. You ever repented and you just wanted to have your name cleared? You just wanted to look good? That's not pure repentance. Pure repentance is, God, for for your name's sake, pardon my sin. So whether you're called to foster care or adoption, whether you're called to a lifelong battle with your health, whether you're called to financial struggle, whether you're called to perpetual family conflict, you just can't figure this out. Or whether it's God just saying no. You ever prayed and God just says no? Paul prayed three times, God, remove this thorn in my flesh. What's the thorn in your flesh that God just like, nope? I'm not doing it because if I removed it, it would nullify your need to have faith in me. So I'm going to keep it there. And I'm going to keep reminding you of your weakness because in your weakness is when my strength is seen. It's seen for what it is and what it needs to be. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. Have you ever wondered what way you should choose? What path you should choose? What decision you should make? What's the best way to handle a situation? Do you base that decision on fear? I bet all of us could say we base our decisions more on fear, the fear of man, the fear of making a mistake the fear of the future more than we would ever base it on, the fear of the Lord. That's the fourth one. The fear, you want, you want to be led by God? Fear God. He's holy, he's righteous. He's God. But sometimes we, we, we talk way too much, and I'm about to talk about it, but we talk way too much about just friendship with God and just intimacy with God. Man, the people of old, They even want to come into his presence because he's holy, because he's God. I think we've lost that in the church today. Do you fear the Lord? Do you revere the Lord? Do you realize that he is God? Do you have a desire within your soul to honor him with your decisions? Do you want him to lead you or have you made up your own mind? The fear of the Lord. So those four things, being a sinner, being humble, walking in covenant relationship, and fearing the Lord, ultimately bring about some promises. Look at the promises that come in verse 13. Three promises for those who wait on and follow God's leading. Verse 13, his soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. Here's the promise for those that want to follow God, is that you will be well and that your children will be blessed. I don't know that there's anybody in this room that wouldn't want that on their life. You wouldn't want things to go well with you. Anybody? I would just rather an asteroid fall on me. No. Is there anybody here that doesn't want God's richest blessing to fall on their kids? No. The scripture says, his soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. You want to know what God's blessing means? We looked at it last week. Go back and look at Ephesians chapter 1. That's what it's talking about. 
the blessing of God on your life. Verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him and He makes known to them His covenant. It's friendship. It's the friendship of God. You, you want to you, you understand God's will for your life? Here's the truth. When you walk in those things that we just laid out, the promise for you is that God will be a friend to you. You know what friend means? Secret counsel. Like you've got a, a connection with God that he walks beside you. I think decision making is more about knowing God and being known by God than knowing an answer. We just want an answer. We just want to know what to execute. For those of you doers like me, just tell me what to do. Just what, what can we do to, what can we execute? God's like, it's not so much about your execution as much as it is about you knowing me. If you don't know me, the execution isn't just really going to work at all. Friendship with God is promised to you. And the third thing, verse 15, God's protection. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. That's so freeing. Because you know what? It's like, it's like the, the hymn says the words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're so prone to getting caught up. And even in our perfect ability, quote unquote, to actually do what we're supposed to do, there's people around us that screw it up. Right? You ever feel, you ever feel that way? Gosh, I was just getting on the right track. I was just beginning to do things well. And then this person in their sin just absolutely destroyed me. You believe that God can protect you and will protect you and does protect you and that when you get caught up, God's not in control of that. This doesn't mean no physical harm. Okay, if you're familiar with the story of Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers for 13 years, an awful life. And in Genesis 50, verse 20, we find a gem in the scriptures. Joseph is talking to his brothers and he says, What you intended for evil, God meant for good. I don't care how many stones people throw at you, I don't care how much evil your enemies or your perceived enemies bring upon you, God's got you. God's your protector, not you, not your mom or your dad, not your brother or your sister. God is your protector. If you will allow him to be. That's what you need to know. If you will allow him to be. Continue on in verse 16. And listen to David unpacking the painful reality of what it actually looks like to follow God. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Because here's what, let me stop. Here's what we want. We want to say, well, if, if I realize I'm a sinner, if I walk in humility, um, if, if I do all these different steps, if I walk in covenant relationship, if I fear the Lord, then God's blessing will come on me and God's promises will come on me and everything will be okay. Now listen to how David finds it. Here's what will happen. Turn to me and be gracious to me from lonely and I'm afflicted. Gosh, walking with God sometimes seems lonely. Even though God's right there. 
The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Gosh, man, if my son killed my daughter, like, my trouble would be pretty enlarged. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sin. Gosh, notice he didn't say, forgive my, my son's sin. Forgive the sin of my family. He says, forgive my sin. I want to be blameless before you, God. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. I think he's thinking about Absalom there. And guard my soul and deliver me. And let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of my troubles, out of all of his troubles. I wonder if part of the struggle for us to walk in God's leading is is an, in, is an unwillingness to wait on him and an unwillingness to really submit ourselves. Because here's, here's what's incredible. And here's the promise for us. Here's what I want to think on as we prepare to respond is that God in heaven isn't just this like all-wise God who wants to hold back all of his wisdom from his people. And then he's just up there if they just knew what I knew, <laughs> they wouldn't do that. No. Like he longs to lead us and guide us. He longs that we would know the ways that he's called us to live. The question is, will we humble ourselves before him? And will we position ourselves in such a way to allow God's steadfast love and faithfulness to rise to the surface. To the extent that you won't, that's on you. Because the scripture makes it clear how God feels about the proud. But there's so much hope for us when we walk in humility and actually position ourselves to hear God's voice and let him be faithful in our lives. Let's pray and prepare to respond to the Lord. Almighty God, I thank you for your word. Gosh, it's powerful. It's so rich. And it's hard to hear sometimes. I don't like some of this stuff. I want to have more say in my life. I want to be able to plan some of my things more. I want to just do what I want to do sometimes. God, would you bring us to the place this morning to the realization that I'm not my own. This life is not my life. I can't do whatever I want. God, for those in this room that just long to hear your voice, would you let them hear it? For those in this room that just long to be free, long to understand the road to freedom, 
Would you show them the hope that they have? Not in the absence of their struggle, but in the presence of, of Christ. God, we love you. And we're desperate for you this morning. So God, I pray that you would take these words and these scriptures and, and conjure up in our souls the ability to respond to you only by your mercy and only by your grace and would your steadfast love and faithfulness reign in Christ's name.